we've got uh, two actors here who are possibly the most smug people you could, <laughs> you could ever envisage. Films nowadays, it's very popular, isn't it, to have like throwbacks or, or bring back, you know, old things from the past and remake them. So why not the Cold War? That's my favourite bit of Daniel Craig acting, actually. It's from the Olympics. Doesn't say much for the five films, does it? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome along, everyone, to Build a Bond. My name is Stuart Morrison, and please welcome my co-host. I could be speaking to my own reflection. It's Fraser McCarthy. Thank you, Stuart. Hello, hello, hello. Yeah, we are quite similar in a lot of ways, aren't we? I think we are. I uh, like to think of us as um, two peas in a podcast. Pod. <laughs> two peas <laughs> in a podcast. Brilliant. We're already finishing each other's. Anyway, how are you doing, Fraser? Doing well? Really, really very, very well, Stuart. I am joining you tonight from a, a beautifully sunset-lit Northampton. I'm looking at the sunset out of the hotel window here, and it is absolutely stunning. It's some glamorous life you lead, Fraser. I know. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to our, um, our guest this week and getting started on another brilliant episode of the Build a Bond podcast. Yeah, what are they going to be doing? This week, as with every week, we're going to have a very special guest on, and they are going to build their dream James Bond film. To do that, they're going to pick the actor to play Bond, who plays the co-star, who plays the villain, who directs the film, and then who performs the theme song. That's all we're going to be doing with them. Nothing more. Nothing more. They don't have any other Bonds to fulfill. Well, exactly right. Beyond that, they can do whatever they want. They can pick storyline they can pick locations they can pick any of the other sort of supporting cast members and they do all that fraser with absolutely no rules none none at all they can pick anyone they want for any of the different aspects living dead dying (laughs) there's no rules whatever they want to do they can put them into their film and it's their james bond film however they want it to be and we ain't gonna stop them Wow, wow. If I was to make a podcast, I would probably put some rules in, but not you. No, absolutely no regard for rules whatsoever. Uh, And excited for our guest this week, someone that I know shares a big love of Bond and someone who I also know loves a little bit of punning and joking and trivia all about Bond, which hopefully means they're going to get on like a house on fire with us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's quite exciting. And um... Yeah, I think they love a witty one-liner almost as much as Bond himself. Mm. He does. That is one of the things about Bond, isn't it? The, they write those little one-liners mostly very well. Sometimes they don't quite fly, but... Yeah, I would say it's, it can be hit or miss, but I think it's such an integral part now of the, the kind of franchise that almost, you know, you would miss them if they weren't there. And some of them, they can be silly, ridiculous. Sometimes it can be quite dark from time to time. But you do love them, and and an important part of Bond. Yes. Uh, have you got any favourites off the top of your head? I like the ones that kind of later on in the series when it kind of like as I mentioned, they they they've become such an important part that they fit them in in ways that literally make no sense at all. So right at the start of um, Tomorrow Never Dies, when he's in the jet plane and he's having the fight with the guy in the back seat and he's trying to strangle him, and then he hits the ejector seat and he launches the the. The, the baddie into the jet above and the jet crashes and they all die and then he says backseat driver 
<laughs> which is funny but also when you think about it why we, there's no one there who's that aimed at who's the audience you know there was one of them and die another day as well i think when he also right at the start when he when they're doing the hovercraft chase and he leaps onto like a big giant bell and he says saved by the bell yeah nobody's listening what's he doing that for what's his point pierce brosnan's the king of them i think yeah hopefully more of that to come on our episodes this week before we do get started though I have a little question just for you, Fraser. Hmm, exciting times. Well, actually, it's not just for you. It's also for our listeners at home as well. But this question is a little bit about something that's coming up for us in a few days' time, which is finally the release of No Time to Die. Wow. And if you're listening to this far in the future, then, you know, Bond 28 and 29 and 30 and all the, you know, we could be on our ninth Bond by then. Well, exactly, exactly right. And this is kind of a little bit about that. So as you know, and as we've endured not only a horrible global pandemic, but the constant delays and waiting and waiting for the release of No Time to Die, one of the longest waits in between two Bond films coming out. But can you tell me, Fraser, what was the shortest time between two Bond films coming out? And I don't mean the length of time, I mean the two films it was between um okay yeah that'll that'll take a bit of working out um mm. can't off the top of my head no but i've gotten oh god yeah it's difficult very difficult there was a lot of them out in the 60s and 70s wasn't there they, there was a phase where they were just absolutely churning them out yeah. i guess back then you know not to give any clues but of course you know it was a lot faster to make films back then than it is now you don't have all the huge amounts of publicity and all that, that you have to do as well so fewer pandemics Pure pandemics as well back then. Um, so yeah, have a think yeah. during the episode. Have a think at home. Let, let us know what you think and we'll reveal the answer at the end of the episode. Silly Bond puns is our bread and butter here at Build a Bond HQ. So it was amazing to discover someone else in the country who shared not only our love for the famous humour, but for Bond as a whole. That's who tonight's guest is. And if his voice sounds familiar... You might recognise it as that of the UK TV network yesterday and the Food Network UK continuity announcements. As well as this, he, his love for all things 007 has led him to write the hilarious reference book, Quantum of Silliness. So please welcome Robbie Sims. Hello, chaps. Hello, Robbie. How are you doing? I'm very well. How are you both? Thank you for having me. Good. Yeah, we're we're great. You're uh, we're very excited to have you. So I think you you might be the biggest Bond fan that we've had on the show so far. Really? Okay. Uh, what about Chesney Hawks? He's got to be he's got to be up there. <laughs> yeah, he's up there. But yeah, um, I think yeah, following your Twitter and your uh, and having read your book, I think uh, there's there's got to be few people who have as much knowledge on the subject as you do. You've literally written the book on Bond. it's not exactly a bond bible but it is bond babble i'll give you that (laughs) uh yeah it's uh i i was a a bond kind of nut before i started doing the whole twitter thing and wrote this book but yeah i've I've done some research as well along the way i've been learning as i've been writing so i am now probably better than i was in terms of my bond facts but i'll still get stuff wrong don't you worry about that good that makes us feel a bit more comfortable (laughs) we do too we very often do in fact almost always do um but as i'm sure you've probably found through your through your antics and everything there's such a loving community on social media of bond fans other bond podcasts just aficionados of all sorts that are always willing to 
pitch in with their knowledge of Bond and and their love of the of the series as well. So it's a nice little community to be in. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's the only sort of film community online that I'm kind of part of. But having looked at kind of what goes on with Star Wars and all the other fan sites, they all seem to be at their other each other's throats all the time. And yeah, the Bond community seems very friendly. Everyone's just up for a laugh. And uh, yeah, I'm very glad that that's the case because uh, before I joined Twitter, I wasn't really engaging with any any fans online. I was uh, watching the films with my my friends and that was it. Uh, but I'm very happy to, to yeah find that there's this community online that's kind of supporting each other and kind of needed it in the last couple of years. You know, it's been a support group basically for the trauma of waiting for No Time to Die to come out. I'm very glad that uh, Twitter was there to sort of scratch the itch of Bond while nothing was happening in the real world. Nine days, Robbie, nine more days. It's, it's almost unreal. And I, I can predict I'm going to have some sort of post No Time to Die depression when it, the, the, it hits me that I've got nothing to look forward to now. It's happened. Whether the film is good or bad, and I, I still got optimism that it's going to be a good one. Uh, yeah, the dust will settle, and then it will be like, oh man, what's what's my life leading to now? <laughs> I've got no idea what what my life goal is anymore. It might be interesting, and obviously we're recording this now, as Fraser says, nine days before the the release day. Fingers crossed, this release day actually goes ahead because we've been yeah. we've, we've been hurt before. What and then bearing in mind, of course, that this episode will probably go out after the film has been released. What's your predictions for the film? What do you think will happen? What, how do you think they'll round off Daniel Craig's time in the role? Uh, well, I don't want to. I don't want to go into plot because either I'll get it completely wrong and embarrass myself, or I'll get it right and people will accuse me of spoilers. But um, in terms of the theme, obviously the trailers they're going for. This is the big kind of climax. This is the denouement of his arc. Uh, and I have a feeling they've had a look at what uh, Marvel did with Avengers and the, the box office that uh, Endgame made and decided that, yeah, we'll have some of that uh, and are doing a kind of, this is the big kind of climax movie, which I'm, I'm up for, actually. I had a really random thought today. Uh, it's obviously not going to be correct, uh, but there's obviously the character uh, of this new double O agent is called Nomi. And there's been rumours that uh, Safin is going to be Dr. No. But what if Nomi is Dr. No? Nomi. It makes perfect sense. It's been there in front of us the whole time. <laughs> I mean, I'd be, I, don't know, I thought to myself, well, look, if they've structured their whole twist and sort of story arc around this quite bad wordplay pun, then I'm happy because it's, this is, yeah, this is what I love. But I don't think the general audience are going to be too happy about that. <laughs> yeah. So, what's your kind of overall, what's your overarching thought on the Daniel Craig era? Um, it's been up and down, hasn't it? It's kind of done the uh, the reverse of Star Trek in that you get Star Trek goes bad, good, bad, good. Apparently, in the sort of original run, anyway. And uh, with with Craig, it's been good, bad, good, bad, in my opinion. Although I'm kind of coming around to Quantum Solace now because it's so weird, I can watch it endlessly and always get something out of it. Whereas Spectre is boring. It's the, that's the worst thing a Bond film can be is not engaging. So as long as No Time to Die is at least kind of interesting and Carrie Fukunaga seems to know what he's doing, I'm kind of, yeah, I'm optimistic that this can carry on the good, bad, good, bad trend. And now we're on to a good one. So, yeah, I'm up for it. That's your yeah. thing, isn't it, sure? That's, That's uh, also kind of what I think as well is, is, is the ratio for, for Daniel Craig is to uh, all at the moment. So hopefully this is the, going to tip it in the favour of good. And exactly as you say, it's... Uh, and having said that, I... I Although I agree it's kind of good, bad, good, bad. I would say even the bads 
compared to some previous bads in the series are, are definitely not absolute clangers either. They're still largely watchable. Um, mm-hmm. So I think exactly as you say, if we can continue the theme of some of the goods, then I think it'll be looked on very favor- favorably as a, as a bond. Yeah. And he deserves, he deserves to go out on a high. It's the first yeah. time they've actually known that the, the actor is leaving the role. So they can tailor the story around that and actually do something quite powerful as opposed to, I don't know, uh, A View to a Kill, which was Roger's last one, where it ended with him in the shower dropping the soap, which maybe wasn't the sort of epic climax <laughs> they wanted, but, you know, that's what we got. Yeah, classic mood ending, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going in. Those are open minds and positive vibes only. Cool. So, quick fire, Robbie. Favourite Bond film? Okay. Uh, well, we're, we're going to tread over this territory a lot, I think, in our conversation. But uh, favourite Bond film is A View to a Kill. Um, I am an 80s Bond kid and very much, very much into that kind of era. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get on to more about that a bit, a bit later on when you ask me what my choices are. But, um yeah, A View to a Kill is my favourite. Obviously, I don't think it's the best film ever made. Uh, it's probably in the top five, but, you know, I, I'm realistic to the fact that uh, it's not the best Bond film ever made, certainly, but it's the one I can enjoy the most and have probably watched the most. Um, yeah, uh, it, it pushes a lot of buttons. So it bypasses my critical faculty in my brain and just heads straight for the endorphin centre. So A View to a Kill for me is, is a great one. Uh, I'd also put Spy, The Spy Who Loved Me up there. And in terms of an actual good film, Casino Royale, I think, uh, does a pretty good job. Good answer. Mm, very nice. I, I, I agree that it's, it's so important to make that distinction between what you think is the best Bond film and what your favourite Bond film is, because what, what makes a good film doesn't always necessarily make something mean it's going to be the thing that connects with you the most. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, I've been shunned from uh, the, the sort of Connery purist fraternity <laughs> for, for saying that I like A View to a Kill, but Hey, you know, <laughs> got to be honest with myself, you know. Well, shall we? Um, shall we get fired straight into it then? Stuart? I was just going to suggest the exact same thing because I'm very intrigued. You've done a few little teasers there. Very excited. You're a man who loves your Bond, knows your Bond history. I'm very intrigued to see what you what you're going to pick. And I think we'll start like where else, but with your pick to play the man or woman or person who is going to be your pick to play James Bond. Okay, well, look, I know I've got like a broad canvas to choose whoever I want. Um, mm-hmm. So this, this choice might sound slightly lazy, but hear me out. I've gone with Roger Moore, but he's got to be aged 56. That's very important. <laughs> because in, in, I had a sort of uh, daydream the other day that if an angel came down to me and said, oh, we found a new Bond film, it's sort of in the archives. It was made and then never released. Do you want to go watch it? And I'm like, yes, I'm so up for that. If there was a Bond film that existed that I'd never seen before, I want it to sit between Octopussy and A View to a Kill. Uh, because for, the, for, for my money, those two films are sort of Roger's imperial phase where he's, he's so comfortable in the role. He sort of glides for every scene. Uh, he doesn't break a sweat. He's sort of, yeah, he, he's not an autopilot. He's you know, working very hard, but he makes it look effortless. And for me, that's, that's the golden period. That's the sort of the Roger I want to see. So he has to be age 56, which is how old he would have been in 1984. Who else? Who else could be, would be Bond other than the ultimate? Well, so, he, was on, he was on a roll, wasn't he? He was on a roll. I mean, at the time, I probably think people were probably quite dismissive about him. And uh, 
he was still, you know, considered a bit of a, a bit of a joke compared to Connery. Um, but time has been very kind, and especially for my generation who uh, watched a lot of the films on TV in the 80s and the 90s, his were the ones that were sort of on in, on in prime time. And uh, Live and Let Die, I just, I remember, was on so much at Christmas and bank holidays. So yeah, his, his Bond thing has been sort of ingrained in my brain now. And uh, yeah, he's, he's the ultimate for me. And I want more. I know that he's already like, he's done seven films. He's done more than any other actor has, but I'm greedy. I want more. <laughs> Pun <laughs> so, intended. <laughs> I'm guessing then it's, it's obviously fair to say that, that Roger Moore is your, is your favourite Bond. What is it about his performance? It raises him up for you. It makes him the best. Uh, I mean, yeah, he is. And I guess I like, I like the Bond films because I feel like they are a bit silly. Hence, hence my book, you know, it's, mm-hmm. um, it's embracing the silliness, which Daniel Craig obviously hasn't done so much. They've, they've kind of tried to keep it serious, which maybe needs to be the case nowadays. But um, I, I like the fact that Roger invited you in to the joke and uh, was, was happy to sort of laugh along with you uh, as you're watching the films. Uh, for me, you know, the, the, the franchise as a whole has many different kind of moods, depending on which film you watch. But uh, the silliness of it can't really be ignored uh even in the serious ones there's still stuff which when you look at it on paper you're like actually that's really that's really daft um so yeah he kind of ran with that he probably never actually ran i don't remember seeing roger ever running uh but he ran with it and and he did a a good job of kind of steering the franchise through wow what was it from like 73 all the way to 85 that's the long stint and uh yeah i don't think if he hadn't have been around to do that maybe the, the franchise wouldn't have survived. I think particularly towards the end in those two films that you mentioned, he definitely was not doing a lot of running, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and in, in this build a bond that I'm building, I want uh-huh. every third shot of, of Roger Moore to be a stunt double, if that can be if that can be arranged. <laughs> well, there's that fun, there's like a funny fact, isn't there, about A View to a Kill, where he's only in about half the film, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, and there's a scene the scene in the jacuzzi uh which i kind of stole my my twitter handle for it, there's a shot of him of, of some legs going past camera as uh, polar even over is sat in the hot tub and i'm always i've always wondered is that actually his legs or not because if you can't see his face he's definitely just going to get the stunt double involved isn't it <laughs> <laughs> so there's someone out there that says you know that goes to cocktail parties and says you know, I played uh, I played Roger Moore's legs and yeah. <laughs> he always wears shorts wherever he goes and just hopes someone recognizes him. Um, it's interesting that you had, like you say, you had a broad canvas of everyone in the world, living and dead, who has ever lived. Yeah, and you chose one of the six people who has already played Bond. Well, look, uh, I did have a think about like, you know, do the whole thing of because when, when you tell people you're a Bond fan, their, their first question is always, oh, who do you think should play, play Bond next? Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I'm exhausted just trying to think about it. Uh, the tabloids have all had a go and they've come up with some nice ideas and some bad ideas. And uh, yeah, I, I could come on and say, oh, I think it should be um, Tom Hiddleston. I don't actually, but that's the name that's come to my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, or Tom Hardy, for example. And yeah. They, these are all names that have been muted already, maybe on your show and maybe in, in the Daily Express, it seems, every other day. So, uh, yeah, it's a bit boring to say that. I thought I'd, I thought I'd go with Roger. You know, this is, this is Build-A-Bond. It's not about 
what you think the next Bond film will be. It's your dream Bond film that you want to sit down on a Sunday afternoon, you know, when it's raining outside and watch. So you have to pick the things that you want to watch and, and, and build the film that really is, is kind of a little piece of you. Um, exactly. A Sunday afternoon is peak Roger time, I would say. A rainy Sunday afternoon is designed for, for a Moonraker or a, a View to a Kill, definitely. Yeah. Cool. Great. I mean, he, yeah, he's he is he is awesome, and I think out of all of the Bond actors, it felt like he was the one that that he kind of got into it the most. He got into the role. I think he was Bond more than any of the other ones. Yeah, he seemed very grateful for it, and uh, obviously, famously, Connery and and to an extent Craig have kind of got grumpy along the way, uh, but Roger was always a great ambassador just for the for the films even after he stopped playing bond he'd always turn up at all you know any any kind of reunion going and he seemed very happy that uh, his name was attached to, to this kind of juggernaut franchise so bless him yeah and he, and he defines in so many ways many of the things that we talk about our love of bond and you know i think you mentioned the other the purists talk about connery and, and his portrayal of bond but actually many of the things that we and i talked about that we love were all things that roger moore bought to it the silliness the 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 raised eyebrow the wit so many of those aspects you know were his spin on on the character and and we, we can now imagine bond without any of those things exactly yeah yeah he's part of the dna and uh i i hope that whenever whatever comes next after no time to die when they recalibrate again i hope that that is still in the mix that there's still a sense of um self-awareness about how over the top it all is and how sometimes camp sometimes cheesy it can be um you know that doesn't mean they can't still make a, a serious movie with exciting moments in it but i i like a bit of self-awareness and i think the marvel movies are very good at that you know they don't take themselves too seriously even if they're going for a kind of big epic one you know yeah, mm. yeah, I think that that, that is, a, is a good balance, actually, like the sort of Guardians of the Galaxy type humour, or even in the, the sort of Avengers films, Endgame, and and uh, there's some really, really funny moments. In, in yeah, that, which, I think which you need for, for a crowd-pleasing blockbuster. I think you, you want the audience to have a laugh as well as uh, have a thrill. Mm. Yeah, Cool. Well, I, I don't know what else to say really about that choice. Exactly as you've said, we don't have to talk about what sort of Bond Roger Moore would portray because we've got lots of films to look at and see exactly what sort of Bond he would do. Um, exactly. So it's or a nice choice. Maybe, maybe in your film, is he taking a little bit of a different direction? Is it a bit darker for him or is he even even lighter? Uh, no, I don't want him to be exactly the same as he's in Octopus <laughs> and a view to a kill, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I want him to glide through every scene he's in without uh, a hair out of place. I say that, but in a, in a view to a kill, when he, when he enters the uh, the iceberg submarine at the beginning, and he's, his hair is, is like, it's been slicked back because he's got this sort of amazing mink hoodie on. But when he takes the hoodie off, there's this like sprouting of hair that's sticking up at the back, which is actually very unbond. But it's only because I've watched that film like 58 times that I've noticed <laughs> that. Uh, he's got the most complex hair, I would say. Very of, strange of hair. Bonds. Yeah. There's a, a line, Money Penny. Uh, in in one of those two films says oh you're such a flatterer james but all i hear is you're, you're such a flat hairer because it looks <laughs> like he's really smoothed smoothed his hair down at the back in this kind of strange mullet but roger's back <laughs> take my now, money now now roger particularly again towards the end of his time was notorious for playing alongside 
what in those days was was still very much the, the Bond girl role. And often with Roger Moore, those Bond girls would be quite considerably younger than he was. Who are you going to pick for your co-star to be playing alongside? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, I've gone with uh, a, an actress who's sort of, in a way, a sort of female counterpart of Roger Moore. I think they'd have in- interesting chemistry together. I'm not going to specify their age, although, yeah, you're right. There, there needs to be at least sort of a 15-year awkward age gap for, for it to sort of be on brand. Uh, but I've gone with Kim Cattrall. Okay. Nice. Because if you think of those sort of later films, uh, the, the, the ladies, she's got the look of that sort of uh, mid-80s kind of aesthetic going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd like her to be sort of more... more a bit more mature than maybe she would have been in 1984. So let's let's put Kim Cattrall at the age of, say, 35. That makes it a bit more appropriate. But she's got the smarm and the sort of raised eyebrow that I think could really be the match for, for Bond, for, for Roger Moore. They always say that the Bond girl should, you know, be Bond's equal. Well, here we go. We've got uh, two actors here who are possibly the most smug people you could, <laughs> you could ever envisage. So I'd love to see the chemistry between those two. I think that is perfect. I think that's such a great shout. Count Cattrall, I mean, she's filthy as well. <laughs> exactly. I think if, if, even if they didn't have a nice romantic chemistry, they could just sort of spout innuendos at each other yeah. for, for 40 minutes and I'd be a happy bunny. Yeah, I think you described it so perfectly. We said you know, the female version of Roger Moore's Bond probably is that's about as close as you, you, you can get. Yeah, it's all about the eyebrows as well. I think Kim can uh, definitely raise an eyebrow and uh, and give Roger a run for his money. When I picture Kim Cattrall, I can almost see her looking a little bit like Jean Smart, who's obviously in loads of things these days. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I think there is that like that extra smarm, as you say, from Kim. Yeah, I mean, obviously very very famous from the for the Sex and the City role. I, can't, I don't really know an awful lot of her work, to be honest. Yeah, I'm basically no. just going based on Sex and the City because I don't think I've really ever seen her <laughs> anything else, to be honest. Well, she, she was in Mannequin, which is another 80s classic. I don't know if you've seen Mannequin, uh, but she, she is the, the as, as advertised mannequin in that film who comes to life. And there's a scene where she has to hang glide around a shopping centre atrium in like a purple dress, which had a real profound impact on me when I was uh, watching Mannequin at the age of eight. <laughs> so if we can get her hang gliding in a purple dress as well in this Bond film, I'd be extra happy. Okay, take a note of that, Fraser. Hand gliding, purple yeah, dress. Right Does it have to be purple? Um, we 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 can negotiate that, but I'd like, yeah, I I'd like it to be uh, as envisaged, please. <laughs> Just thinking of the budget here. Sure, <laughs> sure. And does Tom Ford do purple dresses? We'll find out. Yeah. Um, Kim Cattrall, I know to be a very big fan of Antiques Road Trip, which is a show that really? I work on. Yeah. Oh my goodness! Does she? What does she leave uh, messages in the forums saying? Yeah, how, how do you that's know that? That's she tweets. That's... She, she tweets Antiques Road Trip to say that she wants to be on the celebrity version. Um, and you haven't said yes to her yet. What's the matter? <laughs> yeah, what's going on? And also, why are you saying no time for Antiques Road Trip? But get on Build a Bond, Kim. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a good point. Actually, yeah. We should get her on Build the Bond. Do you have a contact number for her, Robbie? For Kim Cattrall? No, sadly. Um, there's a restraining order. Yeah, it seems like more, <laughs> more, like, more likely you're not allowed within 100 metres of her, to be honest. <laughs> um, lovely. Kim Cattrall. Great shout. Um, 35 years old. Was she in Was she in Baby Geniuses? Am I imagining that? 
she could it. well be. I haven't. That's not one of her oeuvre I'm familiar with. Um, she's in. She's in one of the Star Treks. Speaking oh, really? of Star Trek, she's in. I think Star Trek Six: The Undiscovered Country. I don't want to be too much of a geek about this, but that's my favourite. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I, I, I I suggest you check her out in that because she's she's got the um, either Romulan or Vulcan ears. I'll get shouted at now for not knowing what, but uh, she's definitely in that one. I'm glad you finished the word country. <laughs> that sounds more like a Kim Cattrall. Well. Yeah, exactly. That would be on brand. <laughs> Sorry, that's getting too blue, isn't it? We're we're getting into blue territory. It's a family, <laughs> it's a family show. <laughs> it's really not, to be I, fair. I'd be, but, I'd be disappointed if there wasn't some coarse innuendo at some point. Come on. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, yeah, it's contractually obliged. I mean, you said that it's, it's mostly innuendos between them, but is there a bit of a love story, maybe? Did they end up together? Well, I mean, was there ever really a love story with any of Roger's Roger's girls? Um, the closest he got to romance was probably in Fiora's Eyes Only, because uh, that felt like it, it had a sort of nice... The, the, the Bond woman uh, went on a nice journey in that one. But the age difference there was quite awkward. I think that... Um, oh, crumbs, I can't remember her name. That's really embarrassing. Uh, whoever played... Uh, Carol Bouquet. Carol Bouquet. Yeah. She, was, she was the Bond girl in that one. Uh, she was in her early 20s and I don't know, Roger must have been 50. So that's a little bit awkward, especially because they'd made a point of Bond not sleeping with B.B. Dull, who was the sort of nymphomaniac ice skater, presumably in an attempt to sort of say, hey, we're aware that Bond is uh, too old and is a gentleman and won't get involved with young ladies. Thank you. But then jumps into bed with a 23 year old. Uh, but hey, you've got to end your movie somehow, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It was the 80s, you know, what are you going to do? It was the 80s, Thatcher was on the phone, come on. <laughs> so she was. Yeah. <laughs> that is one of the most, I think that's the only time really that they've ever, is that right, like they've, they've had like a, a, a real life figure from history, like a current, not a figure from history, a current figure appearing? I believe so, yeah, yeah. I mean, can you imagine if Boris Johnson turns up at the end of No Time to Die, if there's a comedy a comedy sort of epilogue where uh, Boris Johnson gets cameo, that's really going to ruin things. There was, oh, I mean, there, there, was the, there was the thing with the Queen, remember, at the, the Olympics, remember that, yeah. 2012? Yes, she's played herself. You've yeah. had Thatcher and the Queen, that's as good as it's going to get, isn't it, really? I mean, they're, they're too I mean, for some, for some people, that's like a dream threesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favourite bit of Daniel Craig acting, actually. It's from the Olympics. Doesn't say much for the five films, does it? <laughs> <laughs> well, no. I mean, so Danny Boyle obviously directed that little thing for the Olympics. And uh, he was originally going to be doing the fifth one, wasn't he? Until it mm. all went tits up. Um, so it would have been interesting to see what, what um, Danny Boyle would have done. But I have a feeling it would have been very much a sort of self-contained thing. Uh, rather than continuing the, the Daniel Craig story. So mm. it would have been a weird um, s- sort of bookmark um, to Daniel Craig's tenure if he'd done these four films and then a fifth one, which was very much different in style or whatever. Yeah, it's still one of these things I think we'll always look back on and see what, what would that film have been like, you know, if Daniel mm. Boyle really in his prime, or not maybe not his prime, but certainly, you know, the, the, one of the biggest British directors around. And then Daniel Craig, obviously was kind of writing such a high as well with, with his most recent films. Wonder what that would have been like. Yeah, we'll never we'll never know. Or we, we do sort of know in that we've seen his, Daniel Craig's, in your words, best performance to date in that small <laughs> bit. Anyway, the directors, that's a conversation for later. Yes, mm. true, true. But shall we move on to your villain? 
Yes, please. Uh, my 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 choices are going to get a little bit less annoying now. You'll be pleased to hear. We're, we're going to go into sort of like reality of what what could actually happen. Well, in uh... before we do that, it would be nice to touch on a little bit about your favourite villains that have, that have come before. Oh yeah, any ones that you really love? Um, well, it's all about the dialogue for me. So I think um, Drax gets some of the best lines in Moonraker. Um, he yeah, it, 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 as, a, as a sort of presence he's not actually that imposing and uh he doesn't really get that much to do there's no sort of action scenes with him or anything he doesn't end up uh smashing james bond's face in or anything uh but he yeah gets some great zingers uh so drax is pretty high up for me obviously i love zorin in a view to a kill i think um that's one of the the the, the, the combination of uh christopher walken and mayday uh, grace jones in that film works really well in a sort of mid-1980s bubble for some reason. I think, yeah, they, they totally sort of rode the zeitgeist and cast that very well. Uh, so Zorin, I like. Who else? Silver, I think, uh, from the recent ones. He's been a good one. So in that instance then, who is your villain going to be? So uh, I've gone with Tilda Swinton, who I originally uh, sort of envisaged in a sort of Rosa Klebb reboot I think she'd make a really good Rosa Claire, but uh, I don't want to have her as a sort of secondary minion. I, I want her to be the main villain. It's about time we had another lady villain. They sort of did that with The World Is Not Enough, but kind of chickened out because mm. she ended up not being the sort of final boss. Uh, you know, the, the, the whole fight that happens on the submarine is after she's been killed. So, yeah, it, it feels like... Um, Renard was still like the main villain uh, in terms of the, the narrative there. So I'd like them to, um, yeah, have a female villain and stick to their guns. And uh, she could she could try and uh, woo Roger Moore at the age of 56 if she wants. Uh, try and get Kim Cattrall out of the picture for a, for a few moments and see what happens. I don't mind. Or there doesn't have to be any sexual sort of chemistry between them at all. She can uh, be an empowered lesbian, as Rosa Klebb kind of was. Uh, they couldn't be too empowering about it back back then, but uh, now we can. We can have her as, um, yeah, uh, uh, a lesbian who I, I have no idea what what her scheme is going to be. I'm afraid I haven't thought that far ahead. But she's uh, like a big sort of boss megalomaniac type character, not a sort of henchwoman or something like that. No, she's I, like don't, a... I don't. I want her to be the main villain because I feel yeah. like yeah, there, there have been henchwomen before and very good kind of femme fatales, but uh, it's time we had uh, an an out and out female villain who is yeah not interested in sleeping with bond just wants to kill him yeah nice. i mean i guess the the, the question that will be on everyone's minds at the moment is has she got the stabby knifey shoes well exactly i mean in one of the kingsman movies maybe the good one the first one the 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 sort of henchwoman in that has uh slicey blady legs so they've almost done a Rosa Club reboot in that one. I feel like Kingsman's quite cheeky, you know. They uh, they they rip off a lot of Bond tropes, yeah. But then seem to get away with it by saying, "Oh, but this isn't a Bond film. Ha ha ha! We're just referencing them." Uh, Tilda Swinton, she could have the the, the stabby shoes certainly. If you're going to reboot Rosa Club, I think you have to because um, that's what the audience remember. Some sort of like maybe not exactly the same, but some kind of like tribute to them or something. Yeah. I mean, maybe there's lava coming out of the heels. I don't know. We'll leave this up to the... Someone else can, you know, come up so with Someone in the special effects department. Industrial light and magic. Out the yeah. back of these shoes. Well, if, if she can get lava coming out the heels, right, 
Yeah. Like maybe Kim Cattrall wears them while she's hand glide, hang gliding. Then, then you've got a weapon. This is, yeah. I mean, I, how is Hans Zimmer going to score this? I'm, I'm already <laughs> excited. <laughs> okay, cool. So we've, we've had very precise ages so far. Have you got a precise mm. age for Tilda Swinton? Um, I haven't written anything down, but let's say uh, 39. No, I'm, I'm changing my mind. Let's go 49. 49, okay. I feel like we're playing bingo now. I'm writing numbers down <laughs> for no reason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is this in any way influenced by Tilda Swinton's performance in Snowpiercer? Do you know what it is? Yes. I only watched that movie uh, quite recently and she's she chews the scenery to what should be like a criminal amount. It shouldn't work, but it does. It's, it's really great. Uh, so I'm thinking that she could actually, you know, be, be a, a good on-screen match for, for Roger and Kim in terms of uh, chewing the scenery, definitely. Lovely. Yeah, I loved her performance in that. I thought she was mm. both hilarious and so over the top that, like, yeah, like you say, it shouldn't work, but it does. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everything she's in, I don't think she's given a bad performance, really. And uh, yeah, I'd be, I'd be very up for that. I was nervous to hear what Fraser has to say. I know, I think <laughs> I've kind of grown a reputation as the, the sort of Simon Cowell of Build a Bond, I don't know, but... I, th- I think as, as a rule, if you reference something, someone who's been in or be involved in the making of Snowpiercer, then normally you're pretty happy. It's a goal for me, yeah. I really didn't, okay, I didn't realise I was playing into your hands with that, but um, <laughs> it's a happy coincidence. I'm quickly re-changing my director now just to, uh, <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm sticking my guns. Uh, okay, well, that's a good transition then. Let, let's let's talk about director then. You, yeah. uh, we've already discussed a few different ones. Bond until recently didn't necessarily not directors didn't necessarily gain the reputation from directing Bond films in the same way as perhaps they do now a little bit. Is there any Bond directors from old that you that you kind of go to or or not necessarily? Um, not necessarily, but I do wish that Peter Hunt had had another crack at the whip because um, he, he did on A Majesty's Secret Service, mm. just that one. And because of the, the way things turned out, like critically and box office wise, it wasn't the greatest hit at the time. He was never asked back as far as I know. So he definitely deserves another crack at the whip because uh, actually that's in hindsight, a very well directed film. Uh, it looks beautiful. The editing's insane uh yeah he should have he should have come back for diamonds uh but obviously they, they decided to get with guy hamilton who was the the goldfinger director um so yeah peter hunt i would love to see more of um the, 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 a lot of the early films you know that the director's stylistic choices weren't really front and center mm-hmm. in the way that i feel like sam mendes with his specter opening shot that lasted eight minutes or whatever and all that that they're, they're kind of they're, they're now choosing directors that are a bit more you know visually Exciting. Uh, I, I, I think that uh, for the Roger ones, you, you kind of want uh, a director who's a bit more bread and butter. And John Glenn was perfect for that. Mm. Um, he, he kind of he knew how to put an action scene together. He'd edited on a Majesties as well. So, yeah, John Glenn is a, another director that um, sort of gets uh, lost, lost in the soup of Bond. But uh, he deserves to be a crouton floating on the top. Sorry, I don't know what's happened with that metaphor, but that made sense in my head. I've never heard of a Bond soup analogy before, but yeah, it works. It is a very soupy series, I would say. A lot yeah. of surprises in there. When, when all the ingredients come together perfectly, it's a delicious spoonful. 
Exactly. Even uh, even better than a quiche, a quiche de cabernet, as as cooked by Roger in for in uh, A View to a Kill. Uh, yeah, they do actually thinking of A View to a Kill, as I often do. Uh, there's some soup in that as well. When he, when he goes to the Eiffel Tower and he meets uh, Mr. Aubergine, the Frenchest man who's ever existed. Uh, Mr. Aubergine, Monsieur Aubergine, I should say, is uh, eating some soup, although we, we don't get clarification on if it was hot or cold, sadly. That's true. I would hope it's not too hot, because isn't there a, isn't there a shot where somebody gets hit by the poisonous butterfly and then they... Go face first and yeah that yeah, that's mr aubergine so if the butterfly oh. didn't kill him then the third degree burns to his nostrils will certainly have finished him off <laughs> great okay well, well, we digress but mm, yes this is the soup section of the of the podcast where you pick what, what your favorite soup would be for both <laughs> but no we're talking directors who are you going to bring in to create this kind of bond that you've, you've constructed so far that it seems to be Roger Moore-esque in the sense that it balances mm. really good, well put together action scenes with that comedic side, with the humor, with the the sort of smartly written script that, that Roger Moore did so well. Yes. Uh, well, I've gone with Edgar Wright. I don't know if he's been nominated by, by anyone, any of your other guests before. Uh, I don't think a sort he has. There's a personal reason for this, which is that um, he did once retweet one of my my things about Roger Moore's double takes. And for that reason, I'm, I feel indebted to him and uh, he, he, he should get a go at it. But he's obviously a Bond fan, yeah. um, just, I guess, because he, he retweeted what I wrote. And uh, yeah, I think he's got a good sensibility of balancing great action, uh, Baby Driver, for example, with comedy. If you look at Hot Fuzz or what's the one where they're going around pubs? Yeah, <laughs> the World's End. World's End, yeah. Uh, I mean, both, so, of the, both of those movies contain Bond actors as well. You've got Timothy Dalton in Hot sure. Fuzz and yeah. uh, Pierce Brosnan in uh, The World's End. So I think he's, he, he knows what he's doing with, with Bond and the world of Bond. He's, he's attuned to it. I think he could do quite an interesting job. Mm. And very good at like physical comedy and, and kind of visual comedy and, and, and using like the cinematic side of things to, to, to bring humour into the films as well, which is could be important for Bond as well. Yeah, exactly. His new film that's coming out, which I think is called Last Night in Soho, mm, something great. in Soho. Um, that's sort of, a, I don't know, a time travel thriller. But the trailer has a good shot of Soho in the 60s and uh, cinema, uh, that's the billboard outside the cinema is showing Thunderball. So that's quite cool. I think that's another little nod to the fact that he's, he's a lover of Bond. Yeah. Uh, it's great that they put it at the trailer as well. Yeah. That's the only reason I'm going to get, the only reason I went to see Black Widow is because I'd heard there was a Moonraker reference in it. So <laughs> up until that point, I was like, no, I'm not going to go to cinema in a pandemic. Thanks. Oh, there's a Moonraker reference. Please take my money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's more than one Moonraker reference. There's more than one Bond reference, actually. And there's quite a lot. I know. They're all, they're all queuing up to reference Bond, all these characters. So let's give, let's give them a, let's give them an actual chance to do it properly. Cool. I, I'm, I'm really happy with, with Edgar Wright, especially, I think you would maybe, Having you know with with this new film that, that seems to be a bit more serious, not out yet, you would tend to associate Edgar Wright with with more comedic style films, which in for a certain type of Bond might not work. But with the way you've described your film, mm. with its heavy emphasis on on those sides of things, I think it is quite a nice match. Yeah, and maybe it's time to bring back the Beach Boys as well, because we know that the Beach Boys have a, a little moment in A View to a Kill when uh, Roger Moore does some snowboarding. So maybe maybe Edgar Wright could. Um, edit a fight scene to more Beach Boys songs. God only knows or something. That'd be weird. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, let's put that in the Maybe convincing file. on that one. Just put it, pencil it in. You know. there, um, there, was some, there was another, other, I think it's a Pierce Brosnan film where they play like some contemporary music and it's quite jarring when you when you hear it. It's uh, Die Another Day, they play London Calling. Yeah, when he's like paragliding mm. in. I would say that's definitely not like the worst aspect of Die Another Day to be fair. I mean just to plug my book since it's an apt moment there's a whole section in my book about uh, why the science of Die Another Day is quite so bad so yeah I'm certainly not a fan of the the film overall but the fact that it's so stupid sort of plays into my hands in a way and I can I can love it because it's so brainless what page is that on oh nice you flashed up the book there I, I I'd assumed you'd probably just uh, skimmed the the Amazon <laughs> introductory section and not no, got it, but thank you. Yes, I don't know what page it's on to be honest, but it's in there somewhere. <laughs> anyway, right, what are we talking brilliant. about? We've got distracted. Edgar Wright, mm. um, fantastic choice. Uh, I think he'd be happy with that choice as well. I'm looking forward to tweeting him with this. Yeah, uh, yeah. Is he also in your contacts along with Kim Patrol? Because uh, we can actually, I feel like this could actually happen. Yeah, Edgar Wright's a big fan of Homes Under the Hammer, so that's <laughs> the one that I work on. <laughs> count me in for I count me in for any Edgar Wright film, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't think he's done a bad one. So yeah, safe pair of hands. Now we get the chance to talk a little bit about music. Obviously, as we've discussed, you're a big fan of the films. How does the music tickle you? Are you a Bond music fan as well? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's again, it's very up and down. Um, there's been some great ones and some not so great ones. I I quite like the sort of poppy end of things. So again, sorry to be boring, but A View to a Kill, I think has one of the best songs. Uh, Live and Let Die is definitely a cracker. I, I'm kind of in, I, I, like, I like the ones that have got a bit of oomph behind them and that's been lacking from um, the, the Glass Couple. Skyfall just about gets away with it, but the, the, uh, Sam Smith doesn't really do it for me. And um, Billie Eilish, I do quite like. Uh, you, you kind of have to see it in the context of the, the title sequence, don't you? So I'm reserving judgment on that one. But yeah, I feel I like, uh, I, I think that they're going to weave the, the, the motifs or the, the melody of her song into the score. So that would be nice because that happens, hasn't really happened for a while. Um, so yeah, song-wise, I, I, I want a, a quite a bombastic one. Yeah, I'm sorry. I wouldn't say the same. I do like kind of all. You're always in different moods and different Bond songs kind of suit different moods. But I do also like the popular ones that sometimes don't always get the same. They're not they're never elevated to the same status as some of the, the kind of your slower ballady type Bond songs. But I like a good pop Bond song as well. Um, so I'm glad that you're. I, I take it going to go in that direction, perhaps with your one. Uh, yeah, yeah. Although it is quite credible. I've tried to sort of stay cool for the kids because I don't think that Roger Moore and Kim Cattrall is going to get uh, Generation <laughs> Z or whatever generation we're on now into the cinema. So I've gone with Janelle Monet for my nice. performer. Uh, and she could also have a cameo because she's, you know, she's, I think she was Oscar nominated for Moonlight. So mm. she can, she can be, uh, you know, a sort of Madonna style cameo. Wow. Um, <laughs> okay, well, let's, let's, let's ignore the Madonna comparisons, but she could have a cameo. She could be yeah. one of Tilda Swinton's uh, sort of henchwomen if she likes. Yeah. Because um, she looks very cute. I think Janelle Monet, she looks very sweet, but maybe that could belie her evil intentions. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, as a, as a musical artist, I think she's great because uh, she, she does a lot of different styles. Um, there's a song, particularly, that I think is very Bondian called Sincerely Jane 
if you ever want to look it up, which is on, on one of her early EPs. And she did do a performance of Goldfinger at the White House back when Obama was in residence, uh, which hmm. you can find on YouTube. And she does a pretty good job of that. You know, if you can if you can belt out Goldfinger and not embarrass yourself, then you're doing well. The stuff that I've heard is it's like the Thirty Computer album, which is a pretty poppy, I guess. And in a sense, it's not full vocal range that she can achieve, but it's a cool sounding album. And if she could incorporate aspects of that as well, then definitely that would be quite a, a cool sign for Bond. Yeah, maybe uh, yeah. maybe she plays Janelle Money Penny. <gasps> oh my God, this writes itself. Yeah, <laughs> brilliant. I thought of that. Nice. I'm, uh, this is forming into a fully formed pitch with like uh, a nobo board and everything. I can see it happening. I'm going to go into Eon on Monday morning. <laughs> the, 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 the entire strength of the pitch is built around the Janelle Money Penny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look, if they can write a, a, a character called Dr. Christmas Jones just because they want to get a punchline at the end about yeah. Christmas, then yeah. I think they're on board with that kind of thing. Yeah. 100%. 100%. So the next section is what we call the AOBs. The, any other bonds? Any bits and pieces for your film that we haven't covered yet? Any additional cast members? Any locations? Gadgets? Henchmen? Anything like that that you want to, to add into your film? Um, a couple of footnotes. So yeah. I know that one of you has a visceral reaction to Steve Coogan, but I'd like to sort of push push the envelope with him for as Q. I think he could make a nice Q. Steve Coogan. Uh, <laughs> Steve Steve Coogan. Exactly. We've got Monet Penny and now we've got Steve Coogan, uh, who, does, you know, there's a danger that we could sort of repeat what happened with John Cleese, that he was sort of a comedy actor doing, doing the comedy turn as Q. But uh, yeah, I think he's also a Bond fan. We know from watching the trip that he can do hmm. an amazing uh, Roger Moore impression. Steve Coogan is coming yeah, in the as only- Q. The only other thing I, I had, and I don't really have a casting suggestion, is I just want to see General Gogol back. He was uh, the sort of the, the Russian equivalent of M in uh-huh. five of the Roger Moore ones. So he had a good, a good run in the 80s. Yeah. Uh, and then when the Cold War happens, they sort of tried to sort of move on from, from Russia and all that. But I feel like if they want to reflect contemporary times, Russia is still, you know, there's, there's, some, there's some interesting stuff going on there. Uh, even today, there was a news report saying that um, somebody's been fingered if you will for the um salisbury poisonings so yeah there's all sorts of going on in russia and i think it could still be quite um relevant to get russia involved as a thing bring back general goggle who was always kind of an uh, an ambivalent not an ambivalence a sort of um uh, a sort of harmless presence he was never a villain nice to see a recurring character he was a little bit villainous and for your eyes only was you know at the end when with the the suitcase and they throw it over the edge and yes and but he sort of he's he throws an arm up in the air and goes, ah, 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 yeah. and then just sort of gets back into his helicopter. So despite the fact that he's flown, I don't know, probably for hours to get to this Greek <laughs> island, then to have his uh, objective smashed to smithereens in front of him, he seems pretty chilled out about it. So good for him. General Gogol, cool. And would you have, have you got anyone in mind for casting who's going to play him? Um, Steve Coogan? <laughs> 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 I, I don't actually, but uh, maybe there's a spin-off called Google Box where he just watches watches Homes Under the Hammer and stuff. What do you think? <laughs> I've heard I think General Google loves Bargain Hunt. <laughs> I think it's good, you know, like films nowadays it's, it's very popular, isn't it, to have like throwbacks or, or bring back, you know, old things from the past and remake them. So why not the Cold War? You know, it was popular at the time. Yeah. Probably yeah. coming back again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cold War 2. <laughs> 
revenge. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I feel like the Bond uh, series has this like deep well of, of iconography that it could use if it wants to. Obviously, they're relying very heavily on the DB5 uh, for marketing this new one. And that's been it was sort of the, the moment in Skyfall that seemed to set uh, audiences in the cinemas alight when uh, when they revealed the DB5 for the first time. Hmm. So they're leaning on that. But, you know, we've got the Lotus Esprit from Spy Love Me. That's pretty iconic. That could yeah. that could have a comeback. Nice. I mean, I haven't seen Lotus in real life on the roads for a while, but I'm sure that they're durable. I'm sure we could get one. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Yeah, you, you don't see a Lotuses around... Because they're all underwater, obviously. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Great. Well, that seems to me like we've got a Bond film, Robbie. Absolutely. The Nobbo board is brimming with ideas there. And uh, when we go to pitch to Barbara and Michael on Monday, I don't see I don't see how they can say no. I'm not gonna lie, this is a pretty good this is a pretty good lineup you've got. I'm love I'm loving the nostalgia, I'm loving Kim Cattrall. The more I think about it, the more I think that's so perfect. I'm going to straight off the bat say, yes, I would watch this film. Thank you. I, I think, mean, yeah. I think you would have to if it was Roger Moore coming back, doing Bond again. And the thing is as well, because you know Roger Moore and you know his Bond, you know what you're getting yourself into as well. So you wouldn't go to it expecting to see some Daniel Craig-esque modern take on Bond. You would go to it knowing exactly what it is. It is what it says on the tin. It's a Roger Moore mm-hmm. Bond. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. You'd love to see that. Yeah. Safe pair of hands. Fantastic. So, Stuart, do you fancy summing it up for us? Yes. Okay. Let's have a go at this then. So, Robbie Sims, your James Bond film is going to star um, an actor called Roger Moore. He's going to be playing <laughs> uh, James Bond at exactly the age of 56. Alongside him, we've got Kim Cattrall, who is going to be 35 years old, playing a uh, uh, <laughs> hand gliding uh, ally to Bond wearing uh, a purple dress, as specified. Uh, your villain hand gliding or hang gliding and well i, I i've always made this mistake is, is it hang gliding oh that makes know. more sense because you sort of you hang don't you hang. from the frame of the, yeah. of the thing but you do use your hands to hold on so i don't know <laughs> yeah i'm gonna have to consult can... people for this it is in fact hang hang gliding, hang gliding. yeah, yeah. yeah. I, it's a common it's like people who say skeleton instead of skeleton <laughs> but i'm not pedantic enough to stop to stop and uh oh, pull them up on it. <laughs> Someone here is, obviously. <laughs> um, playing a uh, hang gliding... Is she a spy? I can't remember if we decided that or not. Uh, we didn't really go into her character. Mm. Um, but uh, she's... she's uh, What I like about um, Stacey Sutton in A View to a Kill is that she's a scientist. She's a ge- geologist. Mm. So maybe Kim Cattrall can be similarly you know, equipped with brains as well as legs. Brains, legs, a hang glider, a purple dress... Mm. And they are going to be coming up against Tilda Swinton, age 49. The film is going to be directed by Edgar Wright. And it's going to star alongside those guys, Steve Coogan, playing Q. And General Gogol is going to be coming back um, with a bit of a Cold War throwback. Performing your theme song, we have Janelle Monet. Robbie, that's your Bond film. I actually, this is quite cathartic. It feels like, um, <laughs> yeah, I've got it out of my system now. And um even if the film doesn't exist in reality, it's, it exists in my mind, and that's nice. And, th- and that is for you, as it were, for your eyes only, on a Sunday afternoon when the rain's coming down, to just sit down and be like, this is my Bond film for me to watch. Oh, my goodness, yeah. Yeah, now you're talking. 
On a scale of one to ten, Robbie, how disappointed are you going to be when they don't announce Roger Moore as the next James Bond? <laughs> I, in my, I haven't really moved on to be honest. And yeah, uh, there's a part of me that still hopes that somehow we can um, use use industrial light and magic to to bring him back. Awesome. Well, there's only one more question, Robbie, and I'm sure you're prepared for this because you're a master of the Bond pun. Hmm. What's your title? Well, here we go. Yeah, there's a lot of I've done a lot of titles, uh, imagined titles in my book. And I don't I didn't want to choose one of those. I wanted to give you a fresh, a fresh material here. So I'm going to choose. Oh, this uh, is uh, reliant on there being a scene similar to Casino Royale, where Bond gets tortured with a rope whacked into his knackers. Uh, And the title of the film is The Knot is World Enough. (laughs) Not... Just to explain that, so the knot is in, as in the rope, and the yeah. whirling, the world, the knot is world enough. I think that there's something in there. That is way more clever than anything we've ever come up with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, when I thought of that, I was, I'd already written the book when I thought of that, and I'm like, damn, that was, that's a keeper. I should have got that in there somewhere, but maybe in the sequel. Did you have any thoughts for a title, Fraser? I only thought of one, and um, it's pretty... It's pretty hinging on the Edgar Wright connection, but doesn't make sense because Bond is Roger Moore. It's called Sean Connery of the Dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, Robbie, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on and to chat Bond with you and uh, to hear about all your great ideas to bring Bond forward and also, in a way, bring Bond back as well. Thank you for having me. I know you've you've helped me live live out my fantasy on a Tuesday afternoon in my loft. So I'm pretty happy. Great, we're so glad. Uh, we've talked a lot about your Twitter and your book on here. Tell us what's your, how can we find you on Twitter and how can we find your book? Yes, uh, on Twitter, I am uh, at the Tchaikovsky, uh, which is, so my full, my full handle is the bubbles tickle my Tchaikovsky, which is a line from A View to a Kill. Uh, so that's where you can find me on Twitter. And I'm also on Instagram. Uh, under the more sensible name of Quantum of Silliness, which is the name of my book. I should really have, you know, branded everything as Quantum of Silliness for commercial reasons, but that's, uh, never mind. Uh, and my book is indeed called Quantum of Silliness, and that's available from all good book emporiums, such as Amazon, who now own all intellectual property of James Bond. So maybe if you buy my book, you're kind of funding the next film in a way. That's how I look at it. Excellent. Well, yes, like Stuart says, thank you so much, Robbie. It's been such a laugh. Uh, Really, really enjoyed your film, really enjoyed your picks, uh, and really enjoyed your company. Thank you for having me. No, 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 no. There's a man who loves his James Bond. There is, that certainly is. I said at the start I think he's going to be her her biggest ever Bond fan and he didn't disappoint he absolutely did not big Bond fan big Roger Moore fan clearly specifically uh, a very big fan of um, A View to a Kill yeah it's odd it's, because it's, it's definitely not one I would put as my favourite but obviously it's got a big connection to him I know that's what I love as well like and he's, he was the first to admit it as well that's his favourite but by no means does he think that it's the best one he just loves it for all the reasons he described which is so cool and what we love about Bond as well yeah yeah amazing well done Robbie mm, great book as well if you had a chance to read it definitely worth picking up um, if you're a, a Bond fan but in particular if you love the ridiculousness of Bond then I think it's 
uh, good show. And uh, and give them a follow on Twitter. The the bubbles tickle my Tchaikovsky. Mm-hmm. And while you're on there, give us a follow as well. Build a bond 007, and you can get us on Instagram as well with the very same handle. Very same indeed. Hopefully, it won't be too long until you have to wait for our next social media post. I see where you're going. But do you know, Fraser, what was the shortest time that we had to wait between two Bond films being released? Well, but it might have been a little bit of a clue from Robbie actually when he was talking about he was talking about that he, you know his Roger Moore has to be exactly fifty six years old because it was uh-huh. in between Octopussy and A View to a Kill. Huh. I do think that there was not much time between For Your Eyes Only and Octopussy. Okay. And I also don't think there was much, I think there was was about a year or potentially even less than a year between Goldeneye and Thunderball. So. Goldfinger and Thunderball. Yeah, Goldfinger and Thunderball. My my apologies to, uh, I mean, there was a really long time between Goldeneye and Thunderball. Um, I'm going to go for Goldfinger and Thunderball. So you are going for Goldfinger and Thunderball, for, between which there was one year, three months, and 11 days. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, that's only the third shortest time. Is it? That's right, yeah. Shorter than that was between Dr. No and From Russia With Love. That was only a year and six days. Wow. But the shortest time between the release of two films in the Bond series was from Russia with Love and Goldfinger. There was only 11 months and seven days, so less than a year between the release of those two films. And that's the shortest. Could you were close though. Yeah. Third closest. Right idea going back as far as possible because um, those ones are relatively short. Good question though. Yes, good question and good answer. And goodbye. And goodbye. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks to Fraser for uh, joining us today. And of course, big thanks to Robbie Sims. Uh, absolute pleasure to have him on. And we'll see you all next week.